welcome everybody to a very special interview episode of Learning the Tropes. Uh, today we have uh, Sophie Jordan with us. So Sophie Jordan is a former English teacher and currently a prolific romance author, having written over 20 romance novels uh, spinning historical, paranormal, and YA. Her most recent book, The Duke Goes Down, is an enemies to lovers story about a down and a luck duke and an impoverished vicar's daughter. The Duke Goes Down is available now for pre-order and will be released July 27th. Yeah, so I love, you mentioned The Duke Goes Down, um, which I'm reading now and I'm loving. I just got to uh, the scene where Imogen escapes her cousin's visit and I was loving it. Oh, yes. Um, <laughs> I'm like, no spoilers. Yes, yes. Uh, yeah, I think I've been, <laughs> the older I get, uh, you know, families are, com- families are very complicated, you know? And as you know, you love these members of your family or you don't, but you're stuck with them because they're your family. So mm-hmm. yeah, I, I, I feel like I've been writing, I've been putting more of that into my books as I, as I grow, as I get older. <laughs> yeah. Um, but why don't you let me know a little bit more or just sort of for the audience, what The Duke Goes Down is about. And I would also love to hear how these books come to you because you know as Sarah McLean has called you you are the queen of tropes like do you start with a trope do you start with a character do you start with a scene like I would love to hear that I mean if you want to say I guess you could almost say I do start with tropes or at least an idea or a concept and a lot of them are tropes and then um the story can spring around that, but it's not like I deliberately set out and say, Oh, it's time to write this trope. I've never done that. But Mm -hmm. at one point in my life, I'm always, you know, you know how, like, as a reader, if someone says, Hey, it's a book with this trope, you're like, I don't even need to know the rest. I don't need to know anything else. If it's, I don't know, say you're, you know, you're a fan of the enemies to lovers and that's all you need to hear. And you're going to read it. Uh, at one point I was a fan of the heroine disguising herself, you know, as a boy throughout the book. And then, you know, the hero dealing with those complicated emotions and attractions to, so I remember sins of a wicked Duke is just my, you know, heroine and drag. That's, that's the book, you know, that was time for me to write that trope. Cause I loved reading that so much. I love Johanna Lindsay's, um, gentle rogue, I believe is the one where Georgie disguises herself as his cabin boy. So, um, I love that. And I, and I love the buildup to the big reveal of that. So that's like one trope I had to visit him right at, at one time. Um, a Duke goes down. It's so funny. I never deliberately set out for it to be an enemies to lovers, but all, clearly by the time I finished it and now early readers are reading it and they're like, oh, it's an enemies to lovers. And I love an enemies to lovers, but I actually am always scared to write them because they're difficult to do you're writing a hero and a heroine that are at such cross purposes. They often hate each other. And I just feel like that's a lot to overcome because at one point, one of them or both of them are behaving so badly towards each other. So sometimes it's a hard, it's really hard to redeem from that. So, mm-hmm. but apparently a, the two goes down is enemies to lovers. And I was like, I mean, yes, most certainly it it's enemies to lovers. Yeah. doing that. So what did you think the trope was? All I thought was, you know, when I sat down, I said, I want to write a book about the hero who lose, who you're getting him in his, the book begins at a point where he has lost everything, like his status, um, his status in society has gone, his title, he's no longer a Duke, he's lost all his wealth, he has no property, he is that guy who's returned home and is living in his mother's basement. That's basically who he is. And he's just lost everything, his whole career. I mean, it, you could pick up this plot and really put it into a contemporary setting and say, yeah, it's the guy who's lost his entire career. He's gone bankrupt. He's, he's broken. He's a broken man and he's living in his mom's basement. God, that doesn't sound like a great hero. <laughs> so I'm sitting here, wait, I'm, I am, I am trying to push this book, but that is, you know, and, but he grew up this wealthy, spoiled brat in the heroine's eyes. So that's where the enemies to lovers came from. Um, and his, of course, it's a very common um, convention of historicals that, it, 
you know, marriages are made for, you know, matches are arranged for wealth and status. So he's like, well, I'm, I'm a bastard and I've lost everything, but I'm still a Duke's son, even if illegitimate. I have a sister who's married to an Earl. My mother's still a dowager duchess. I'm just the one that got screwed here. Um, I still have something to offer. He, you know, I'll, I'll marry an heiress. So my heroine though, is like, think again, you're not marrying any of my friends in the neighborhood, any of the, you know, <laughs> local heiresses around here. You're, you know, not, that's not going to happen. You're not going to use them for yourself. And, you know, when you were a rich Duke, you didn't have time for any of us. So that's sort of the whole premise of the book. So, I mean, it did turn out to be enemies and lovers, even though it was somewhat inadvertent, but it had to be, I guess it had to be to make the plot work. Um, and the title, there's a bit of a story behind that. <laughs> yeah. I, my editor always asks me when it's time to cover conference, send me, send me the summary again of your book and then send me your title suggestions and, you know, descriptions of your hero and heroine for the cover and all that good stuff. So I sent her like five or six title suggestions and the one, the last one was the Duke goes down because it sounds so dirty. And I was like, they're not going to take that. And I wrote the Duke goes down. And then I little parentheses, like, ha ha. It's so funny. I know y'all can't, you know, it is funny, but it's also true in a double sense. I mean, he, he, he's fallen from high. He's the Duke totally goes down like he's he's at the bottom of his life okay I should mm-hmm. say he's and then there's that sexy double on top you know entendre there what you think of when a guy goes down so I was like it, it's really funny I thought and I just did an lol and they came back and they were like it's totally this title and I emailed back and I was like is that okay with you know no stores would be resistant it's not too naughty where they wouldn't be comfortable they're like no no there's nothing profane there's nothing obscene it's just it's got that cheeky thing going on. And then of course the agreement between my editor and myself with this, that it would have like the most glorious scene of, you know, the hero going down. So, which I think you might be approaching, you might be getting close to that scene in the book as you're reading it. So that was the agreement that I, you know, I wrote the hero who is um, down on his luck and also goes down. So there you go. But I love the reaction of people online when they're like, at first they're like, wait, is that on purpose? Like, did you do that title on purpose? <laughs> It'd be silly if I didn't do it on purpose. <laughs> that would I am a romance author, you understand. Right. <laughs> no I'm embarrassed. Yes, to admit I didn't <laughs> do that on purpose. I do wonder when I post it, I have a number of followers on my Facebook page. They're just like, people through my kids' schools, <laughs> in my neighborhood. And I'm like, hey, two more weeks until the Duke goes down. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, so you're like, no, down. he's impoverished. I don't know what you're thinking. That's your Exactly. Mind. He is. Yeah. Maybe you have the gutter mind neighbor of mine. Yeah. Um, yeah. But- I just, yeah, I, I laugh and I'm not really worried. <laughs> At this point, in my, I cannot, I am not worried about, you know, people's opinions of me as a romance writer I am you know out and proud as a romance writer oh no I see you should be um well something that I really like about this book or that I find really interesting is the role that gossip plays in it because normally gossip is sort of the the tool of women in a way to keep women in line, other women in line. And especially with Regency or not Regency, especially with historicals, um, women's reputations. And I found it so interesting that normally, you know, obviously within the romance world, uh, Dukes or any members of the peerage end up being impervious to gossip. Mm -hmm. Once he's kicked out, sort of that is the tool that Imogen is wielding against her for this slight that happened when she was, young and she overheard him saying some not nice things about her um yeah I I found that really interesting and I would love to hear you I mean there's not really a question but that's so interesting I never really thought of it as that angle like it's yes like gossip has also 
in, and not that different if, you know, I must say from a daughter, having a daughter that's just graduated from high school, it's often yeah. weaponized, right? And it most frequently hurts the female rather than the man, right? I mean, you know, even today they can talk about the fact that, you know, oh, this girl has a quote reputation and that's shameful, but the guy gets a clap on the back, right? Like, right. I mean, I've talked about these double standards with my kids growing up. But it is interesting that she is able to somehow harness the power of gossip for herself then, because she's really determined in the sense that she thinks she's serving her community and protecting these heiresses, these unsuspecting women from being used and manipulated by him, because he's clearly only marrying them for their dowry. And she thinks that's horrible. So, and, you know, like you've mentioned, she does have a bit of an ax to grind against him. But yeah, that is a bit of a gender flip. Uh, You know, she does have power, I would say, in her community. You know, her father is a vicar and um, she essentially writes his sermons. People come to her just as much, if not more than her dad now, because he's, you know, he's in declining health and even his some to somewhat a degree, his faculties. So she welds a lot of power in her community. And this is a first book of the series, The Duke Hunt. And that's really been kind of my goal is I wanted to write a book, a series that revolves around a community, but featuring women who have um, agency in some way. I mean, whether or not you want to, you know, I'm not going to even, whether it was realistic or true to the times, I don't know. I think it's more true than it wasn't, you know? Yeah. Women, women have to be resourceful, especially in, you know, the Regency and Victorian area that they, they had to be resourceful um, to weld, you know, control or power over their lives. Who is in the second book? If I can oh, so the second book is Mercy, who is her friend. I've kind of defined each book as, um, the first one is Imogene and she's the lady vicar, you know, a role that, you know, women were not allowed to be vicars, but she essentially is because of her father's um, being incapacitated. And then in the second book, Mercy is running a property in a farm outside of town all by herself, essentially. She has a brother, but he's off sowing his oats and having a good time. So responsibility and burdens all fall to her. And the third book that I'm about to start is The Lady. So I have The Lady Vicar, The Lady Farmer, and, and the third book is The Lady uh, Blacksmith. Mm. So excited about her. And you'll see, I don't know if you've reached her yet. Um, I don't think so. She is introduced, Mercy and Gwen are introduced and the Duke goes down. And Gwen is my like super strong, like Bridget, Bridget Nielsen, like character. <laughs> and my, my editor's like, is her hero going to be really big too? I'm like, oh yeah, they, they are like going to be, he's, he's like a Liam Hemsworth. Like he's going to be a big dude too. They're just going to be like two giant Vikings coming together. <laughs> I love it. I don't think I've met Gwen yet. I have met Mercy. I did peak Mercy as being the next one. That was my guess. And I wasn't necessarily sure the order even, like I knew mm-hmm. Mercy would get a story. Gwen's going to get a story. Um, I'm pretty sure I know who the fourth is, but just in case there's a surprise, sometimes surprises happen. Like I'm in the process of writing a book and another character kind of becomes larger than I expected on the page. And suddenly they're the next book. But so the first three of the, of this four book series is set. So no, I mean, Shropshire is the community they all live in. They are unusual in that they do have um, power and control in their lives. Yet at the same time, there's, you know, that is threatened, you know, thereby giving me a conflict. I really don't have a conflict in story otherwise, you know. Uh, Mercy's situation, though, you know, she's got this rascal of a brother who he, you know, his name's on the deed, but he's worthless and she mm-hmm. has to, yeah. And then, and then I'm, I'm plotting Gwen's now. So <laughs> we'll see. And yeah, to go back to sort of your process, just because I'm always so interested, mm-hmm. like, how much do you know going into it? Like, do you outline or are you just sort of sitting down every morning? And, and also, I think that's a good question too. sort of like, what is your day like when you're writing? Sort of how do you organize yourself? I mean, I believe in outlining. Um, I don't do a, a 
very structured synopsis. I'm, I'm not, I, I don't want to be that held accountable, but I do outline and it's very loose and it's very, you know, maybe on a whiteboard, maybe in my notes section, maybe on an mm-hmm. open file on my laptop, but it's the daydreaming. That's the planning. I love the planning and the ideas that come to you at the beginning. And sometimes I'll have a sentence or a line or a scene. And I definitely jot all that down because if you don't, it's sort of like when you have an idea before you fall asleep and then you're like, I'm going to remember that. But guess what? You wake up the next morning and it's gone. Um, sometimes I get a line and I, I write it down right away because those, the, the lines, it's usually when I say a line, it's usually a bit of dialogue between the hero and the heroine that are going back and forth. And it's so perfect. And it's so fraught with tension that you got to save it. You got to get it down. So that's what a lot of my um, outlining looks like, like maybe a little character description, maybe a little like it'll open this way thought and then maybe, oh, but there needs to be this scene, this scene and this scene. And then I go from there. So everyone's like, are you a plotter and a pantser? I'm like, well, I definitely don't slide into a book with no concept of what it's about. So I, but I'm not super, super structured either. So I'm just somewhere in the middle, I'd say. Um, I love talking books, like the, you know, books I'm reading and books though, just that when I'm in the writing process or the drafting, I love talking books with other writers Mm -hmm. and hearing them do the same, you know, that's just fun. If I could just um, sell ideas, that'd be great. I could, you know, write one or two books a year, but just keep selling the ideas. <laughs> Sometimes I have great ideas. I'm like, but I'll never get around to that one. So can someone else write it for me? <laughs> Yeah, exactly. I feel the same way. I think sometimes there are people who are so like, keep their thing to themselves and it's so precious and they don't want to tell anyone. I'm like, I tell everybody. Figure Like if somebody else writes it better than me, then I get to enjoy it in a different way. I'm like, I'm never precious about that sort of thing. Well, that's why like you'll reread An Enemies to Lover or you'll reread, you know, that prop, you know, best friends, you know, brothers, little sister, you know, whatever ones you love. I mean, I'll read them and read them, read them. I actually really like kind of gritty, primitive. I love a romance that is so desperate. Like I'll I'll read an end of world romance because nothing's more desperate than that. I'm a huge fan of, it's been up for a long time, Hold by Claire Kent. It's like a prison Mm -hmm. planet one. This female is one of very few females dropped into a prison colony. And it is insane. It's just so desperate and crazy though. And, um, some people love it. It's my jam, but I will say other people I recommend, I recommend it to. And they're like, it was just kind of dirty. And they didn't even mean dirty as in like too dirty on the graphic scale. They meant dirty. <laughs> like, like people are people, dirty. <laughs> people are dirty in this prison planet. And I'm like, well, sure. Yeah. Like, like it's not like up there with the hygiene maybe but but the hero and the heroine are hot and beautiful and it's sort of like you suspend that disbelief when you read a historical romance nobody's Mm -hmm. breath is bad nobody has bo you know these are things you know if you read a you know medieval romance you you know there could be definite hygiene issues but you just sort of push that from the you know front of your mind to somewhere else they smell yes. nice. That's what you tell yourself. Um, I don't know if you're aware that on TikTok, the big thing is Ice Planet Barbarians. For book talk, that's the only thing people are talking about. Which Why is so do you think crazy. that is? I don't you know, know I'm because- one of the first people who talked about that in romance. Like yes. nobody was talking about it. And then they were making fun of me and I got Sarah on board with it and we got my ed- editor and now it's all like on old school. There's a whole army of women that read it. I think it's the same thing that I just described. It's just that um, desperation too. But there's something about creating a new world for your romance Um you know, when I'm writing a historical romance or writing a contemporary romance, I have to stop and talk, think about plausibility sometimes. But when you're writing something that is set in a totally made up realm, I'm like, no, I don't really need to worry about that. It's going to be this way because I say it's this way. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. and that's just, and um, readers are on board for the crazy, for the bananas, you know, they want that. Um, it, 
you know, Ice Planet Barbarians is sort of like medievals in a way. Like it, they're they're crazy and the circumstances are rough and desperate. And but I love the whole notion of that the hero has this and the heroine when they decide they're mated or bonded, right? They have the queer or whatever. Have you read any of them yet? <laughs> that, oh, like, yeah. Of course. Purrs I have. Alert, of course. Okay. Purrs yeah, yeah, and alerts yeah. them to the fact that this person is my other half, basically. Right. Whether they want it or not, it's just physiology. It's it's just physical. It's just biology at that point. And they have they accept it. They can even hate the person, but they're together and they can't mm-hmm. keep their hands off each other. That's just wild. That's sort of see, I think, I mean, so what do you feel about, I want to know what you think. What do you think of the Ice Planet books? I like the Ice Planet books. I mean, I think the thing for me that I just think is so wild and I can't wrap my head around is like why the Ice Planet books hit Mm -hmm. in a way that there are so many other bonkers books that don't hit. And I think, right. and so now I've been spending a lot of time thinking about it. And I think the thing with the Ice Planet books is kind of what you said with the world building, where like Ruby Dixon is obviously very, very talented in that mm-hmm. she built this world so quick. And I, mm-hmm. the trap, because like for the podcast, we've tried to read a lot of sci-fi fantasy books and we have a really difficult time because they end up being very, very long mm-hmm. and really involved with the world building. Yeah. And I think the thing with the Ice Planet Barbarians is one, it is wackadoo in that they are six foot aliens with horns and mm-hmm. little nubs that stimulate your clit. And great. yeah, why do those exist? We don't know, but it's great. And <laughs> I think that's fun, but also you get that like, even if you don't know something, Ruby knows something. And I think that's the like fundamental thing with writers or reading fantasy is like I don't necessarily want to know the inner workings of not Hoth or what happened for the 200 years before the women got there right but I have a feeling like she has thought of it right you know I think I think I think she's really talented with world building and I think you're you're absolutely right that she knows more than she's saying she knows this inside and out and I'll never forget you know, I, I, I write white, I write young adult, I have a fantasy series and there are, you know, and I've been around fantasy, just fantasy authors and they're in it for the world. That's all they love. But like, you know, when you read Ruby Dixon that she is, she never forgets that it's a romance. Yeah. Like it's about this, these key people and getting them together quickly. Cause you know, they're not super long, most of them, right? Um, getting them together on the page quickly. That's what the reader's there for. Um, and that's what the difference is, I guess, in just fantasy or sci-fi alone that it ha- mm-hmm. doesn't have the romance in it. They can spend pages talking about the world. <laughs> and I, you know, they have readers that love that. That's fine. But that's not, you know, as romance writers, you know, that world is that she's created just enhances the whole, the, the desperation and the conflict. Um, but I think she's so talented and smart at world building. And I, um, I once said that to a non-romance reader and who was like, really? Okay. I'm going to go try it. And then they were like sneering about it to me. And they were like, what? Because they weren't there. They didn't appreciate the romance aspect of it. And they couldn't get past that to recognize how talented she also is at the world building. I just think she weaves it in so quickly too. Like you said, like you get a sense of this world and the um, the workings of it and the rules very quickly. And then you're boom, you're into the romance. But that's a challenge, you know, rom- romance novels are so different. Like I remember picking up old school ones where I'm like, wow, I'm on page 120 and the hero and heroine just met, you know? That's just not how we, we function today when we're writing as writers, writing them or as readers. We're used to getting, you know, to the hook, to the, to the, to the good stuff right away. And I don't, that's probably, you know, part of our, you know, we're a streaming culture now too, right? We want, we want the payoff quickly. Like, I mean, when I start a series on Netflix, you know, I, I want, I want to be hooked on the first episode, the sooner, the better. And I think books are the same way. Get us hooked right away. Yeah. There are so many things sprang out of that. Um, 
I'm there for that. I'm there for the proximity trope. If you're stranded or trapped, I'm there for that. What's really clever is I think it's even common for a book to have more than one trope, right? Like I've had, right. I've had a book where they're proximity and they're trapped. And then maybe at the same time, they're enemies to lovers, or they could be a best friend's little sister. Like, you know, I think the more you, more, the more tropes that are layered just is a signal that the conflict is higher in this book. Um, And I've talked this, I've talked about this with writers when we're crafting. I'm like, you don't need, I don't, I'm not even conscious when I'm like, okay, I'm setting forth to write this book and I will insert at least three tropes. I don't do that on purpose, but I think it happens. I think it now it's an organic thing. When I sit down and write, I know things are instinctive for me. And I think layering in lots of conflict, getting the hero and heroine on the page together as soon as possible, as often as possible. Um, when I'm done with the book, I look back and that's when I'm like, Hey, the readers pointed out it was enemies to lovers and I didn't even realize it, you know, and, uh, the Duke goes down and it's, um, oh gosh, I'll, I'll read reviews and find out what else it is. <laughs> like I said, it's not necessarily deliberate. Um, I love the proximity trope though, to answer your question. I'm a fan of enemies to lovers. I really loved one of my favorite was brother's like best friend's little sister. That was my favorite for a long time. I might've might've glutted myself on that one though. Yeah. I would still read it and, and enjoy it, but I have read many, many of them. I've written them. I've read them. Maybe that's what happens. Maybe after I write it, I've purged myself. Now I'm going to have to think about that. Now you're going to have to write a prison planet. I really am thinking about it. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> I really, I'm thinking about, well, and the other thing I, as I was talking to you, I was like, why do I like hold by Claire Kent so much? It's a prison planet, but it's also proximity. It's forced proximity too. Yeah. See, so there's another one. I love forced proximity. It doesn't have to be like a prison planet, but you can still layer in, right? Like I said, like that, you just want that feeling in your chest, you know, and, you know, in the butterflies in your stomach when you're like, oh, it's forced proximity or, you know, um, Nothing like getting them trapped in a snowstorm and they, you know, and, and this is the couple that can't be together, right? Like for whatever reason, but they are. Truly yeah. nothing, like forced proximity is such a, like a primal trope, I think within the genre that is so, so mm-hmm. good. And you always see it coming and you're just like, yes. So I the can't very wait. first historical romance I ever read and I was like 12 and I don't know the name and I don't know the title. But I know that I ripped, I borrowed it, took it from my grandmother who was reading. It was like on her bed stand, bed stand. And I was bored and spending a few days with her back when she had like two channels to watch. Like there was nothing to do. So I read it and it, w- it was, it began, the book started in the French Revolution and they were hiding. The hero and the heroine were fleeing, not together, but they came to a place where like a family h- took them and hid them. Um, under the floorboards of a house. So she's, this is how she just met this guy and he just met her. And then they're stuffed under the floorboards of a house for a few days. Like, and now that I'm a grown up, I'm like, God, again, things are intruding, right? Like, when did they go to the bathroom? And they really must have smelled oh, under there, you know. I don't but care. They yeah. were under there. And I mean, you knew he was good looking. Like, they, saw each other before they were plunged into darkness to like recognize some physical attraction. So that is how they consummated. That was the first sex scene was under the floorboards and hiding in this house, which I don't think is that implausible because I think when I think in survival situations, like there's an instinct, right? Like we must, you know, hook up, (laughs) you know, that like deep down buried need to procreate. I mean, if you can't, it's there somewhere, but so, they bang it out under the floorboards, okay? And then the rest of the book, they flee to, I guess, French Louisiana. And that's why someone, when I said that, I, whenever I tell this story, there's all these readers who at that point start guessing who wrote it because I guess there's probably only a handful of historical romance authors that chose that kind of setting. 
with the friend, but that was the first tutorial I ever read. And it just blew my mind and talk about forced proximity. I mean, they could barely move. They had like a few yeah. inches above them. They were just laying flat. <laughs> I mean, I do need, like, we do need to find this book. I mean, this does sound fascinating. Now I'm really, I mean, I bet if I put a post up on old school romance, um, somebody will have to remember it. Cause how distinct is that? I've never read that kind of plot. I mean, we've read forced proximity, but when they're, they're in hiding under, Not the, floor under the floorboards. No. Yeah. Crazy. Can, yeah. The only book I can think of that they're hiding under the floorboards is a American historical. So it wouldn't be that then. Yeah, no, they were still in France and then they fled to Louisiana. So someone has to know someone. Yeah. Anyone out there, if you know, yes. no, like our yes. listeners are very good. We put out oh, a good. call for adult breastfeeding and we got more than one book. We got oh. a few recommendations. Well, then I can't uh, wait. I'm going to find out finally. But then, yeah. you know, it's always a dangerous thing to go back and revisit. That was the first historical romance I ever read. And it did leave mm -hmm. such an impression that I continued to read them. At that point, I devoured all I could. Um, but sometimes going back to that first one, I don't know, it's like meeting a hero and being disappointed. <laughs> they say never meet your heroes, right? I don't know. Like, but maybe oh. just to even have the book, just to not even to reread it, but just if you had an old copy, I think that would be good. I agree. If you could get yeah. the actual original, I'm sure it had a super lush clinch cover. Yeah. And then I'm, I'm sure her name was something like Genevieve or something. I, I feel like that might've been her name. Yeah, possibly. Yeah. My first one that I remember was I was probably around the same age and I went with my dad and I was at a pharmacy and I remember just seeing the cover and it was called like Seven Sisters or something. I wish I had it because it was yellow. Like I could draw the cover right now if I needed to. And it was about this guy and he didn't know Duke, I'm sure, or something like that. Right. And he didn't know that he had all these sisters somehow. So he inherited like seven sisters. And then there was like one he was attracted to. And it turns out like she wasn't actually a sister. She was just like a friend of the family that they were like, come with us. Well, that's our, our brother's what is all ease of his conscience there. <laughs> I know, but pretty hairy there for a second. Yeah. Um, so I would, yeah, I would love to, if I could get my hands on a copy of that one too. Who knows if it's even a print? I have no idea who even wrote it. I mean, you um, just think if you'd go, I mean, you'd have to be able to go online and find this. They have to be somewhere, some old bookstore somewhere. Has it for sure. I do enjoy um, it. Yeah. Yeah, just have I have some old keepers that were my mom's like old Harlequins. It's just so fun to have them and look back at them. Yeah, I need to have I feel like now because all I do is read on my Kindle. I don't have physical yeah. copies of anything. Yeah. So I need to be better about like purchasing the books that I love and that I want to read over and over again. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I second. Um, yeah. So you mentioned streaming. And so obviously, you know, last Christmas we had Bridgerton, which was a big moment. Yes. Do you, is there a series, I guess yours or anyone's, like that you think would be the next big streaming, I guess, show or film? Like, is there a, a book that you've read that you're like, oh no, I need to see this on the screen? Oh gosh, the next sensation, like it could be a great sensation. Gosh, there's so many. I mean, there's a lot in historical that they could, you know, I think with different vibes, you know, like um, I, I think Sarah's would be really great. Sarah McLean's, The Boxers, a little grittier, you know, mm -hmm. um, I think those would be really, really fun on the big screen um, in historical. Let me think about contemporary but oh my god could you imagine ruby if they bought ruby dixon's <laughs> i keep thinking like the way that this is going on, on tiktok i'm like i think i texted somebody who was like it's not a zero percent chance that these are options like it's not zero I mean, they I did that to so. 50 I, shades okay. of gray for sure i mean and we saw what was the the one the three fifty six days oh, or something you know like yeah, yeah. 365 right i mean they and it's and they have the other one that just came out with sex lies that was some that was someone else's too i don't think it is so unheard of i mean before streaming before hulu netflix prime you know all these other streaming platforms came out for something just it was just at the only options were the big screen right or like you know Fox, ABC, you know, like those networks, right? That just a network or the movies. And that was it. But I feel like the doors have blown wide open 
And there's a room for a lot of interesting things to happen in, you know, in romance and, you know, within the subgenres of romance, contemporary historical. I mean, I, I really hope they do more, right? They are, t- they are adapting more books, but I really, I mean, a, a nice, juicy, long series. I mean, look, I mean, they're, right? We have Bridgerton, they did it with Outlander. Come on, it's, it's there, it's waiting for us. Mm-hmm. Um, I'd have to really think about, I think it really would be fun to do something like with Ruby Dixon because it's sci-fi and it's futuristic and they're crazy. And I mean, it'd be like, like, you know, erotica avatar or something, which I would have been down with, you know? I, it's the, it's the, a level of camp that would be unsurpassed, but it's like, it I do be- enjoy camp. I oh. must say, maybe that's why I, I do like watching just some campiness on sci-fi channel, like Z nation. I mean, it's like silly, but kind of ridiculous but if that was a book I'd probably be reading that too like there's some actually actually decent plotting in those shows you know they're just Mm -hmm. embracing the camp right that's the thing like if you got the right showrunner to do Mm -hmm. Ice Planet Barbarians who got it and knew the parts that we love about it and then just amplified those I think it could be it would be a sensation because it would like what else are you going to talk about than the six foot aliens or seven foot oh my aliens god can, and, and just the title can you imagine ice planet barbarians that's it that's just the title <laughs> dropping on netflix people would just be flocking to it because they would just want to what is this like yeah they're they yeah. will show up for the bananas let's start a petition I there's there's been a meeting like I guarantee you somewhere in the world there has been I'm gonna say meeting about one it. meeting of like now let's look at what's uh, trending on TikTok, and it's just Ice Planet Barbarians. <laughs> <laughs> Everything else, is and, and it's trending. so funny because it's a little delayed. Like we're like we've known about them for we've known about Ice Planet Barbarians forever, but I'm sure people just like Bridgerton blowing up. As romance readers, we're all very proprietary. We're very possessive. We're like, oh, the rest of the world is just now finding out about it. <laughs> we've known forever. Oh yeah. <laughs> We've been on the ice planet train. So it's always like, That's okay, right. I'm happy to see you guys here. And um, think about, I mean, it's endless yeah. with the characters and the number of, but I mean, there's so, it can go forever. <laughs> but it'd be great. Like a half hour. Yeah. episode. Like you, that's the thing too. It doesn't need to be like, don't expand it to make it be an hour long. Let's not flesh this out. Let's keep it real tight and have yeah. it be just like eight episodes every year. Like every new year's day is a new ice planet. Yeah. A sensation. I know. Well, I've been optioned for film in my YA and I've read two versions of scripts and I don't, I don't claim ownership over the scripts and that's their job. They are adapting it and they're writing the script and I enjoy the hell out of it reading it and, you know, cross your fingers someday you could see it. But I tell myself, I wrote the books. That's mine. You know, that's what I wrote. And that's what I give to the world is the book. And the adaptation is somebody else's responsibility. So I've always felt after going through that experience, very flexible of separating the two. Um, Mm -hmm. I'm not one of those readers who gets super angry and goes into a rant when things are different. I just, I'm not going to do that because I think to myself, of course, it's going to be different. It's a whole different medium. It has to be. Yeah. Yeah. And what I think that's interesting, you know, we have so many now um, and whether you consider her a romance author or not, but we've had so many Jane Austen adaptations. It's like each adaptation says so much more about the adapter than it does about like Austen necessarily. Cause it's like, how does it go through this lens? And I think anytime you adapt something, that's what's happening too. Absolutely. And that's why it's so fun. That's why you keep watching every adaptation to see, you know, it's so interesting because, you know, they, you know, they're, they adapted it for, you know, their vision and how they saw it. And that's, what's interesting. Absolutely. I was, I thought the, you know, Pride and Prejudice and Zombies was fun, you know, just like, Hey, it's a different, look how they, you know, made the book work into this thing, you know? Yeah, totally. And I think also reading is such a private uh, and singular experience. I think the relationship that the reader has with an author or with a text, 
Um, yeah, that like what you said, when it is adapted, obviously there's a lot of people involved in the adaptation, but you are sort of seeing like, oh, well that reader read that book differently than I did, kind right. of. Right, right. You know? When I had a meeting with the screenwriter, it was for my YA novel, Firelight. He asked, he, you know, we talked and he told me things that he liked and thought. And it was so funny because again, it's sort of like when I hear everybody talking about the Duke goes down, they're like, oh, it's enemies to lover. And they're really like focusing on that. I'm like, I didn't even focus on that as a writer. So he was focusing on different things that I, it wasn't a focal point to me, but that's what he took out of it. But he did ask me at the end of our phone call, if there's one thing that is very important to you about the book or, or that you feel is special that you would hate to get lost, what would it be? And I thought that was the best question ever. And I thought about it and it was, um, there were two things. And one was the part that was special to me, a scene, a scene. And then the other one was the one that the readers talked about to me the most, like the one that they got flutters inside over and, you know, was involved in the meat cute, you know? And I was like, in that line at the end of the meat cute on the end of chapter one, I was like, everybody talks about that to me. I mean, everybody loves it. That's the line that apparently sold the book, like in the submission meeting. Like, so he was like, okay. And I could hear him scribbling and I, and those two things made it in the script. So I was like, (laughs) if that's what, if that's two things I can, I felt like I did that for the reader too, you know, not just me, but for the reader, like, look, this is what resonates for readers. If you could keep that part in, I think they'd be happy with everything else, you know? Yeah, that's so fun. Um, so, yeah. So at the end, I don't know if you've ever listened to the podcast. Maybe I should have asked that earlier. Um, it's okay if you haven't. Um, but uh, at the end, we always do like, what are you swooning about? And so it can be... It can be a romance book. It can be a non-romance book, a TV show, an app. It can be anything. Okay. Um, I know we ran over so many high points already of things I love. Um, I'm swooning about what I'm reading right now. Let me think. Oh, (laughs) I feel like I'm giving, I'm showing my, I'm showing my true colors here. (laughs) Um, Robin Lovett has an alien quarantine romance out. If y'all are surprise that's what Sophie Jordan's reading but I do read you know I'm and I'm really looking forward to Diana Quincy's historical romance uh the heroine's bone setter which I think is like oh gosh exciting and like it's different and like like I talked about in my historical series just wanting to write heroines that are a little different that have autonomy and agency in their communities and that's definitely I think um you know writing about a bone setter seems really unique and an independent female in the historical genre. So I'm excited uh, for Diana Quincy's. uh, We're both releasing on the same day, I believe. And um, what else? I do, I do watch a lot of true crime in the background as I write, but when I'm ready to focus on TV, I do like campy stuff. Like the talk I talk about, I'll I'll watch like Z Nation, sci-fi, but I did finish Black Summer, which season two just dropped on Netflix. Season one, I thought was amazing. Season two was good, but um, I thought that was a different kind of end of world zombie take. And anytime you can do something different on something that's been done so much, I, I can appreciate it in any genre. Um, that's why I, that, I think that's, you know, what I look for in romance too. And maybe why I gravitate to out of the box, different, you know, uh, futuristic or fantasy romance or, you know, prison romance. Maybe the prison <laughs> romance goes back to my Devil's Rock series too, because I did write about some, you know, ex-cons <laughs> in my contemporary Devil's Rock. Um, so what else I'm obsessed with? Oh, and English muffin, cream cheese and everything. I mean, everything bagel seasoning has been around for a while now, but I could just like drink, I could take the everything bagel seasoning and stick my tongue out and just shake it on my tongue. That I mean, was the I hardest thing about like, yeah, quarantine was I couldn't get myself to a Trader Joe's. So, yeah, I mean, I would, or, so I mean, good. confession, I order it. I ordered them like in two packs online, the uh, bottles of the everything seasoning. 
Oh, I didn't realize you could order it online. You can order okay, it well, that would, you could have told me this a year ago. I I'm so it. sorry. I'm so sorry. <laughs> you need to be on speed dial. I'll be like, wait, what, what pl- ice plate by Barbarian book are you on? I'm on number 78. What about you? <laughs> um, oh, I do have another question to sort of go back. Because well, what I do think is interesting, talking about adaptation of books into films and TV, is you took a, t- a movie and put it into a book. Oh, and while the Duke was sleeping, which while you were sleeping is truly mm, chef's kiss, great, one of the greats, that <laughs> book also chef's kiss, one of the greats, ha- loved it so much. What about while you were sleeping made you want to turn it into a, a book? And is there another like 90s rom-com that you'd want to do that too? Oh my God. It's like you're feeding into my, <laughs> okay. So while you were sleeping is you know, a wink, wink, nod, nod to, uh, no, while the Duke was sleeping is a wink, wink, <laughs> nod, nod to while you were sleeping. Now that is one of my favorite. Uh, I, I really think of it as a Christmas movie too, because that's so yeah. part of the setting, although it could be, it could be any time of the year, that book. But um, I just think the fact that it was set at Christmas kind of heightens the heroine's um, loneliness. And I do love that idea. So I love the idea of a lonely soul finding love more than any, you know, obviously, I mean, more than this person over here who has tons of love. (laughs) I want to read about the one who really needs it, you know? Mm -hmm. So, um, and that's kind of the takeaway, the things I took, the two things I love the most about that movie are the two things I kept for the book. And that is the, um, the heroine so lonely and deserving of love and that she weaves a fantasy, a love story between herself and someone And that's not the person she's meant to be with, you know, and that's, that's the premise. So yes, in the, while the Duke was sleeping, he does get run over by a carriage instead of the L train. And then he's in a coma. And meanwhile, there's his stepbrother who she thinks is, you know, obnoxious and interfering. And, but he's the one, you know, of course he's the hero. Of course he's the one that she's destined to be with. So that's the fun of, I think that's the fun of the movie and the fun of the book that, you know, you can fixate and be hung up on one person. And there's an old country song like that. Like, thank God for unanswered prayers. You know, you, your whole life, you might think this is the thing or the person you want more than anything. And you don't get that person and you end up going down another path, another journey and finding someone else. And then you're like, thank God, I didn't get what I asked for. Cause this is, this is happiness and this is better. So that's, mm-hmm. that's why the Duke was sleeping. Those are the elements I love. Now, the other one I have just came out. It's my uh, young, it's my oh, yes. debut young adult Regency called 16 Scandals, which is a wink or a nod, I like to say, to 16 Candles. And people, st- I have readers emailing me and they, mm-hmm. I just read 16 Candles and I'm like, okay, thank you. <laughs> 16 scandals, but even, I mean, it's so easy to trip up. It's not even, it's like the alliteration of it too, which really it was the title. I didn't hardly even pitch the story. The title was so, um, such a hit with the editor. I was like, Hey, I have this idea to do the, uh, write a young adult Regency, which I don't know why I've never done that before. I write YA and I write historical romances. So let's marry the two. And she was like totally on board with it. Um, the premise is just that the heroine turns 16 and it is her assumption that she is going to be allowed to enter society at this point, but she has three older sisters ahead of her, one getting married. So, and one that's still trying to find a suitor and be out in the season. And the mother's very much like a Mrs. Bennett type. So she's like, I can't even think about you until these are done okay so she's very discouraged and upset disappointed it's her birthday so like the movie it's not that the parents forgot her birthday but they are deliberately forgetting her birthday they're like this isn't important right now so my heroine in my novel in 16 scandals takes her best friend for a night at Vauxhall gardens it's just a wild romp night where she loses her friend and of course meets the dude that's you know that's so it um it's and of course the guy's named Jacob I have to give that mm-hmm. at least you know he's and he's um mysterious and there's more to him and 
yeah, I mean, it's a romance. It's as much as a romance could be that takes place within like 48 hours, you know? Um, but, and he's a, a big, big catch, let's just say, when it, when it comes to like who he really is, you know? So, oh. uh, yeah, yeah. So he's- That's exciting. It, it, it's a fun, I think, I'm proud of it. It's a little, you know, I'm proud of the book that I wrote a YA Regency that could be there for, you know, you know, I wish this had been there for 14 year old me or 15 year old me. Um, of course I, you know, I don't know that there, there might've been some, but there weren't many. So, uh, I just fell into historical romances straight off the bat, but Mm -hmm. you know, it's there. I think, I think my adult readers would like it. I knew my YA readers would appreciate it and we'll see. Maybe they'll, maybe I'll do more. I do have ideas for other YA regencies, but but it's fun. So is 16 Scandals, is that out now or? It is out now. It is okay, out now. Awesome. Um, and the Duke Goes Down is going to be out July 27th. Right. Anyway, so how can people find you? Um, I have, I'm on Facebook, Sophie Jordan. I, I probably, out of all my social media, I probably live the most on Instagram. Mm-hmm. Um, you'll just find me in there, type in Sophie Jordan. But I will say... I do have a private reader group and you just need to type in on Facebook, Sophie's Sirens. I went with the alliteration there. So if you want to, if anybody would like to join it, they just type in Sophie's Sirens, ask to join. And I do talk a little more there. I'm a little more like, hey, this is a page where, you know, my my mom's not on it. <laughs> so, so I really, is it just I, mostly hidden from like fa- other PTA members and your mom? Yeah. Yeah. And my neighbors and, <laughs> but, it's, but I mean, you know, they all know what I do, but it's a place, it's a place that, um, I think in the description, I'm like for, you know, Sophie's bestest, bestest readers, you know, and that just, you know, if they read me and they read romance in general, that's a good place to be. And we just, talk. I'll talk about anything there. I'll talk about what I'm watching, what I'm eating, where I'm going, what I'm doing and books. And then generally that's where I give first scoop stuff. Like, Hey guys, this is really crazy. But what if I wrote something like this and see what everybody thinks and says? So yeah, I don't do that on just like my general page. Yeah. That's more for like publicity type right. stuff. Probably. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So if you want like the inside with me, yeah, check me out at Sophie's Sirens on Facebook. All right. Well, thanks Thanks. so much. Thank you. It was fun. I enjoyed talking books with you today. (laughs) 